It is just Paula, Colston, and myself here on a rainy Friday morning in Buffalo, New York. Kind of a different episode of the Sportscasters, but it is uh, September 23rd, 2016. And uh, this is Season 6, Episode 26. Uh, we have an abbreviated edition of the Sportscasters here. Uh, we will do a quick intro here, and then we will shift over to an interview I just recorded with Don Banks, uh, formerly of Sports Illustrated and now a contributor on NFL.com. You know him from his Snap Judgments column, which is always a fun read on Sunday night. I always read Snap Judgments when the Saints win, uh, rarely when they lose. I'm usually not in the mood uh, to consume much NFL media after a Saints loss, but we'll talk to talk to Don in a second uh, about the first few weeks in the NFL season. Uh, after this quick intro and we do that, I'll be back after Banks. We'll do a quick book club update and then a quick thought before we I see. sign with out. These people, man? Oh, Lemonade. We got a ad playing here Lemonade. on NFL.com. Thank you, NFL.com, for that. Uh, you know, the really annoying thing about NFL.com is every video that plays has its own ad attached to it. It's like, geez, we need to watch an ad for every single video within the same game. Uh, annoying. But like I said, it's a shorter show today. We'll be back to regular schedule next week for Season 6, Episode 27. Uh, Paul and Colston don't talk, so we're not going to get much from them right now, which is probably a good thing because if they were barking or crying uncontrollably, it would ruin the whole thing. We'd have to do it again. Uh, but let's take a break. We'll come back uh, with Don Banks, and then after the interview, I'll be back uh, to close things out with a book club update and one last thing. All right, our next guest is from Brooklyn, New York, and is a graduate of the University of South Florida. He's a contributor for NFL.com and a former senior writer for Sports Illustrated. He's a huge member of Red Sox Nation and is set to make his third appearance on the podcast today. A warm sports guest is welcome to Don Banks. How's it going, Don? It's good, Steve. How are you? Very, very good. Um, still trying to figure out what I watched last night. Uh, I don't know. Is that one for the for the Hall of Fame plaque for Belichick? It it certainly buttresses the reputation that he can, in the immortal words of Bum Phillips, the the longtime Houston Oilers coach, take his in and beat your in, or take your in and beat his in. Meaning, it doesn't matter whose players he has, he can outcoach the guy across the sideline. And obviously, Bill O'Brien of the Texans is a former. Uh, Patriots uh, offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach and uh, protege of Mr. Belichick, but um, he has a way of figuring out how to take away something from you, and I thought what he took away last night was Houston's ability to play on a big stage whatsoever. Once again, I think uh, we saw a Texans team that kind of came up small when the spotlight was the brightest. Yeah, I thought they did New England a lot of favors. Um Turnovers, obviously, inside the 20-yard line two times that led to touchdowns. J.J. Uh, Watt, I think, was hurt by the short week. He didn't look very healthy. And it just seemed like they they didn't make any plays. I mean, they literally made no plays. No. Yeah, uh, yeah Houston, Houston looked devoid of, like, any answers last night at, at any part of the, the game plan. And uh, New England 
once again kind of came up with uh, creativity. Do you think it's a problem with the Thursday night game in general? you think there's just a huge inherent advantage for the home team on those short weeks? I, th- I think there's a decent-sized advantage. I don't know if it's huge. Um, we kind of go through this debate, I think, early in the Thursday night package every year now. We go through the debate on the injury front, and we go through the debate on whether it's it's best you know, for the level of play and have that such a quick turnaround. The reality is I don't think it's going anywhere. It's a huge hit. It's a huge moneymaker, and I think it does present challenges that obviously a, a, a Sunday or a Monday night game doesn't. But um, some teams seem to deal with it better than others, and I think Houston is one of those teams that is not mature enough and not far enough along in its development to handle things like the, that particular type of curveball. It's interesting, too, because I think it's one of those things where when you're getting ready to play the game, you're thinking fans and players alike, I'm sure, are thinking, oh, man, this sucks, such a short week. But then when it ends, especially if you win, you're like, oh, great, now we have this long stretch of time off. Like I'm sure Patriots fans are just licking their chops like, oh, my God, Belichick's got 10 days to prepare for a Bills team that never seems prepared. You know, And, and I feel like that it can be a big benefit at times as well. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think there's this, this uh, you know, part pain, part pleasure to the Thursday night package. Now comes the pleasure because New England basically gets a mini bye week, at least a mini bye weekend, and then they get all that extra time for Belichick and the staff who really don't need it um, to prepare for a Buffalo team that is grasping at this point of the season. You know, it was interesting last night on the telecast, uh, I think it was Nance and Sims were talking about uh, Brissett and how he came highly recommended from Bill Parcells and it seems like it, it's never long in between watching NFL broadcasts where I hear about a guy being you know recommended by Bill Parcells whether it's to Belichick or Sean Payton or one of his other disciples out there how how deep do you think Bill Belichick or excuse me Bill Parcells reaches still in the NFL at this point in his influence well, uh, like if you talk to Mike Zimmer of the Vikings, I, I believe they're in communication almost every week. Um, it may be a text, it may be um, you know a quick phone call, but um, I think in pockets of the NFL, I think the reach is very strong. But it's kind of his guys, you know. Parcells has his guys, and he stays pretty active in the coaching life of his guys. Um, the Sean Payton, um, Mike Zimmer's of the world. Those he he takes a real parochial interest in their careers and i think he's in their ear more than we would ever expect but um that is probably not shared if you're let's say chip kelly or if you're pete carroll or somebody like that it's you're he's completely off your radar but um i think it's his reach is fairly significant when it comes to the people that he has kind of identified as his guys through the years Mike Zimmer is doing a great job in Minnesota. Everyone always says, you know, how did it take so long for him to get a shot? Sean Payton's won yep. a Super Bowl. Belichick's one of the best coaches of all time. Obviously, these are things that are awesome for the legacy and the resume of Bill Parcells. You look at Belichick, who's starting to have his guys as well. They haven't had as good of a track record on their own just yet. Uh, do you think that... See, see last night uh, across the field with Bill O'Brien, but... Um, right. Or, or yes. Yeah, or on his own sideline with a returning, you know, offensive coordinator who, who didn't do so hot, I suppose, in Denver. Um, do you think that that makes a big... It hurts the legacy of Belichick at all? 
Well, the legacy for the longest time was his guys left and, and never could reproduce his success. And that's the Romeo Cornells, who was also on the other sideline last night as the defensive coordinator for Houston. That's Charlie Weiss, went to Notre Dame, fell on his face. Uh, Josh McDaniels, two, not even two full years in Denver. Picked Tim Tebow, had a lot of first-time coaching, head coaching issues in terms of keeping control of the organization and the team. So the legacy was Belichick is this evil genius with almost an unprecedented record, and then then his guys can't do that anywhere else. They can't replicate what he has created in New England. So a lot of people shorthanded that to, oh, he's got Tom Brady. That's the whole thing, Tom Brady. But I think what we're seeing now, in addition to, I believe there will be kind of a second a second look if Bill O'Brien builds a, a, a long-term winning program in Houston. If Josh McDaniels goes somewhere, and I believe he will very shortly, um, and wins this time, I think there'll be a second look at the Belichick coaching tree. And I think um, you can't shorthand it when they continue to win without Tom Brady. And this season, the first four games, I believe they'll be 4-0. We'll, we'll get added to that 11-5 right. in 2008 under my, Matt Castle. It'll pretty Pretty strong argument that it wasn't number 12 all along. Sports guys are here with Don Banks. Uh, a few more minutes left, and I'll touch on a few things. You know, three weeks into the season, well, we're getting ready to one game into the third week of the season. Uh, what Has there been anything that surprised you, thoughts you had in the offseason that have either been confirmed or overturned uh, in the short period so far? What What's kind of piqued your interest or changed your mind a little bit so far? Well, I, I I think I pounded the drum pretty clearly all off season that I thought the Oakland Raiders were finally ready to win again, finally ready to be a playoff wild card team. Went out there in June, spent some time with them, wrote a couple stories. Um, their defense has been underwhelming so far, and this is a defense um, that was you know supposed to take a, a clear step forward under second year defensive coordinator Ken Norton Jr. They added Bruce Irvin. They added uh, Sean Smith he's at been cornerback. Horrible. Yeah, he's been bad. He's been, been yeah, he's been yeah, really he's, bad. He's been abused. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they drafted um, Carl Joseph the safety. He has yet to really get on the field and make much of an impact. That was supposed to be a defense that was going to kind of match the young, talented offense that they've put on the field for the last couple of years. Um, we haven't even seen Khalil Mack yet. I mean, he he literally hasn't shown up in the stat sheet. So that's one surprise that, uh, that they've given up over 500 yards of offense two straight weeks. The first team to do that at the beginning uh, two games of a season since the 1967 Falcons. Um, that's not a team we remember <laughs> for any reason. So that's a, that's a mild two-week small sample surprise um, that I've seen. And then I think maybe another negative in that respect is Green Bay's continued struggles. Um, Aaron Rodgers in the passing game. There's, you know, the the narrative was that Jordy Nelson's return to health equals the Packers returning to the execution in the passing game that we got used to from like '09 to the end of '14, and that has not been the case through two games. They still look like a team that is trying to find its rhythm, trying to find its sense of, of, of timing and precision. And we're getting a new round of what's wrong with Aaron Rodgers type stories. And, uh, 
you know, last time, last few times, really, he's given us a version of the relax line. He gave us a modified version of that, but I think there's a little bit of concern even in Green Bay uh, organization that something has been lost that they have not been able to reacquire in terms of the um, you know well-oiled machine element of their passing game, and it's it's getting to be time of the season, week three, home opener against Detroit, where they're expecting to see some of that um, work itself out in return. Yeah, it's interesting because you watch a Packers game sometimes, it seems like the first three and a half quarters they can't do anything right, but then that last six minutes or when it comes into two minute or when it's time to throw a Hail Mary, it seems like Aaron Rodgers can't do anything wrong. I mean, I think to the fourth down play he made against the Bears when the team was struggling to win a game. Um, obviously against the Lions on Thursday night last year and in the playoffs, it's like whatever they're doing those first three quarters doesn't seem to work, but when you get away from that and it's just time to go out and try to move up the field, he's great again. Yeah, so like once the pressure ratchets up to a certain degree, um, and it's kind of like the inverse of why, why can't teams um, play like they play in against the prevent defense all the time, you know, when they can move the ball up and down the field. Um, I think... Aaron Rodgers, I think it's a very big week for him. I think he needs to get some semblance of looking like number 12. Uh, I know he says he doesn't care about the critics and he doesn't really listen to them, but I think he does, and I think it's it's weighing on him, and he feels somewhat responsible. I think his mechanics have gotten a little out of kilter um, with all the pass rush pressure, and he may even be anticipating some that's not even there, and he's... You know, he can make an unbelievable plays, uh, you know, off <laughs> off the wrong foot and throwing from weird angles. And we saw that in, in week one when he had Jalen Ramsey in Jacksonville hanging off of him, pulling the backwards by the jersey, throws a touchdown pass to Devontae Adams. But it's possible that maybe some of that playground ball has kind of um, eroded his the you know the solidity of his uh, mechanics and a lot of people theorize that um, he's just not as sound as he was as a passer and that's why the accuracy has dropped in recent um, you know in, in in the last eighteen regular season games he's played. The stat judgments column that we all read and loved while Don was at Sports Illustrated has found a home on NFL.com. It ran for the first time there. Week two was great to see it there. We talked to John Wertheim on this podcast last week, Don, and we talked about the great frustration of Time Inc. having a $6 million CEO who's essentially not working and a magazine <laughs> as great as Sports Illustrated uh, not having a guy like you and how frustrating that is for readers, and I'm sure it's even more frustrating for you. Uh, but I'm sure you feel good to know that Snap Judgments and your writing has a home on NFL.com, uh, as we are. So congratulations on that. You can find Don on Twitter. He's at Don Banks there, and you can find uh, links to his work, which we really need to support on NFL.com right now. So please do that. Uh, anything else you want to throw out plug-wise? Um, no, I hope to be getting back into the world of podcasting, which I was doing um, at SI. Uh, for the past, I don't know, four or five months with Andrew Perloff of the Dan Patrick Show. We were old friends and colleagues. Uh, he was once my um, NFL daily editor at SI. I was really enjoying that. Um, and um, talking to some folks about maybe trying to do my own podcast in the future, so stay tuned for that. But I am, you know, I am happy to uh, have kind of 
transported my signature column, Snap Judgments, to NFL.com, and it's 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 new in the relationship. It certainly looked strange to me to see it last year or last week uh, anywhere other than um, SI.com, but. Um, uh, happy that it has found a home. It's um, I'm, I'm contributing. I'm on a freelance basis right now. Hopeful that it's uh, a foot in the door that I can make it um, a more permanent um, relocation. And then I wanted to plug a story I wrote yesterday. Sure. As we know, today is the 15th anniversary of the Mo Lewis Drew Bledsoe game, September 23rd, 2001, the first week back after the 9-11 tragedy. And that was, um, not to overstate it, that was the hit that changed the course of NFL history when Mo Lewis knocked uh, Drew Bledsoe out of the game, out of the Patriots lineup, and really out of the future plans of the Patriots and opened the door for a young number 12, Tom Brady, to assume that position. Um, Remarkable to think that that's been 15 years and also remarkable to think that all that has changed since then. But I actually had Mr. Brady and Mr. Bledsoe agree to kind of look back and try to recapture that day, what they were thinking, what they were feeling, um, give me the reflections and their, their remembrances of that day and that pivotal sequence um, on a story that is, is at NFL.com right now. And I'm was kind of happy with that. It's like a mini oral history of that day. Um, once hoped to talk to a great many people that were involved um, due to my career switch. It, it got scaled down a little, but it's a good read. Yeah, a lot of history this weekend with uh, the Brady Lewis thing and, of course, the 10-year anniversary of Rebirth in the Superdome with the Saints. Uh, again, right. it's, it's at Don Banks on Twitter, and look for his stuff on NFL.com. Thanks for doing this, Don. Thanks, Steve. All right, I want to thank Don Banks for being on the podcast today. I promise you that is no easy interview to secure, but it's great of Don to join us. I hope you check out his stuff on NFL.com, Snap Judgments, his piece on Brady and Bledsoe. Uh, let's help him out. We talked with John Wertheim last week. This week's podcast, the short version, and last week's with John Wertheim, is available on our website, www.sports-casters.com. And you can find our podcast on iTunes and Stitcher and wherever else you get podcasts. We're there. If we're not and you need us, let us know. Uh, but this week's episode will be there. Last week's with John Wertheim, who mentioned, kind of defended a little bit, the path of Time, Inc. and their restructuring at the top with a $6 million guy, kind of on the sidelines, kind of in a different position. Either way, they're paying two CEOs and not paying Don Banks. So it's a bummer. Uh, but he's got a new opportunity at NFL.com. Let's support him because it's great stuff. And he's at Don Banks on Twitter. Um, all right, book club. we got to go through the books because I don't know if I've ever had so many books. It seems like every day Colston is barking at the UPS guy because he's dropping off books. Let's start with the book club for September. There's two officially two book club books of the month for September. We're kind of working all four books, September and October, together. But obviously, we'll focus on September books first. 
And the first book is TV, The Book. Two experts pick the greatest American shows of all time. It's by Alan Seppenwall and Matt Zoller Seitz. It's available wherever books are sold in paperback and ebook formats. Uh, it's a hundred or so different essays uh, about each of the hundred shows and a bunch of different lists. Uh, the A-Team even made a couple lists. Uh, Best Car, the A-Team van was on that list. There's another list that B.A. Baracus's Jewelry made. So I have to talk to Alan about the A-Team when we get a chance to track him down. I want to do that soon and next. Uh, Don and I talked a lot about TV the book last week in the book club update. So you can go back and hear more about it there. This week I've been spending most of my time reading After Further Review, My Life Including the Infamous, Controversial, and Unforgettable Calls That Changed the NFL by Mike Pereira. Uh, Mike was on the podcast once before. I haven't been able to get him again, but he's going to be on to talk about the book. I've been reading it this week. Really interesting stuff about, obviously, his journey to the NFL as an official. Kind of interesting that he didn't really even ref that long or officiate that long in the NFL before he moved to the front office. Uh, also, some really interesting stuff in there I was reading last night about the officials' CBA. Uh, the things they fought for in the lockout, the pay structure, the best referees, the most tenured referees in the NFL can make well over $100,000 a year refing. And there's all kinds of other little ways they get a couple grand here and a couple grand there and first class accommodation. So really not a bad gig. And he also got into talking about scrutiny, scrutinizing refs. He claims 97% of NFL plays are correct, and he really, really went to bat for the officials, no surprise. Uh, so we'll talk to Mr. Banks soon about that. Uh, his book is After Further Review, My Life, Including the Infamous, Controversial, and Unforgettable Calls that Changed the NFL. This is available now as well through Triumph Books. It's available on uh, Amazon, of course. Uh, you can get it at a bookstore and ebook formats as well. Now, a couple big things for, for October, two huge things, two big ones. Not that Alan Seppenwall and Mike Pereira aren't huge, but the next two books are written by people who are really important to the podcast. The first book being, because it comes out first, it comes out October 6th, which means now you can pre-order the book. Uh, There's an excerpt of the book in this week's Sports Illustrated, uh, the one with the Louisville cover uh, quarterback on the cover. Uh, Playing Through the Whistle, Steel Football in American Town by S.L. Price. It's the Book Club Book of the Month for October. Um, it's available for pre-order now. Again, it comes out on October 6th. You can order it on Amazon, or you can jump into that as well on iTunes um, in the in the book section. Uh, for an ebook. you can pre-order it there as well. Uh, that's what I'm going to read next. This is I'm done with Pereira's book. I'm going to start reading Playing Through the Whistle. Although I did read the excerpt in Sports Illustrated this week, and it got me fired up to read more. Also in the mail this week, the other book club book of the month for October came. I got an advanced reading copy of Gunslinger, Brett Favre Gunslinger, the remarkable, improbable, iconic life of Brett Favre. Uh, It's just an advanced copy. It's so cool. Jeff was nice enough to send me that. It comes out October 25th. This is, again, also available for pre-order. The remarkable, improbable, iconic life of Brett Favre Gunslinger. So... Four books, Seppenwall and Sites, TV the book, uh, Pereira's book, 
after further review, Playing Through the Whistle by S.L. Price and Brett Favre's Gunslinger. All right, with that said, one last thing from the podcast today, and I guess it's impossible really. It's impossible really not to kind of acknowledge uh, with my girl here. My Paula's sitting on my lap right now. She's being quiet, which is nice. I didn't think she'd be this quiet for this song, but she's being a good girl. And we're recording on Friday, September 23rd, which is an important date in my family because it's the day that my grandmother passed away in 1995, 21 years later that she passed away. And last year, I think, was an emotional uh, one because it was 20 years. And I thought we'd take a break from that a little bit, but this one is even more emotional because there's a there's a new Paula in the family now. And, you know, she's not named Paula by accident. I named her after my grandmother, who was a very brave lady. And I'll tell one story, which a lot of people know. Some people know. Uh, maybe some people don't. I, I don't remember if I told on the podcast or not. But uh, my great-grandmother, Paula's great-great-grandmother, was actually born in the United States, uh, I guess in the late 1800s or early 19, probably early 1900s. And her mother, who my mom called Big Grandma, didn't really like the United States. They're living in Pennsylvania, uh, early immigrants of the country living in Pennsylvania. And my grandmother and her mother went back to Italy. And my great-grandmother didn't come back to the United States until my grandmother was 12. So my great-grandmother's born here, goes back to Italy, gets married, starts to have a family in Italy right around the time of the Second World War. Her and my great-grandfather come back to America, but they're not allowed to come to America with their children. They have two children at the time. One's 12, one's four. So they're going to get to the United States. They're going to establish themselves, and then they'll send for their children. And the time comes, and my grandmother is 12, and her sister is four. And my grandmother, as told to me by her sister and my great-aunt, uh, my grandmother takes her sister by the hand in Italy, on a dock somewhere in Italy, walks her onto this boat, just alone, the two young girls walked onto the boat, and they traveled to the United States of America across the Atlantic Ocean, where my grandmother held her sister in her arms the whole way, and they were reunited with their parents. And then obviously my grandmother grew up and had my mom, who had me, and now I have Paula. And I think about that story and I just think it's so so brave. Like, I mean, we've been on boats, but probably not this kind of boat and not for this long and not by ourselves. I don't think these were the most glamorous ships. This wasn't like a, a cruise ship, I don't think. You know, this was a boat getting immigrants from Italy to the United States. It's just incredible to me to think of the bravery of that. And I think when you have a child, you want, you hope that she can grow to have qualities. Like you hope she's going to be a kind person. You hope that she's going to have dreams. She's going to be determined. She's going to be caring. You want all that. And I think bravery is maybe an underrated one, but I hope someday that my daughter can be as brave as my grandmother was. And she showed her bravery again in illness, but I, I can't talk about that right now. Uh, she fought, a, you know, just a disastrous illness, but she did it with bravery and dignity until the end. 
We miss her a lot. It's been 21 years. Uh, but it does feel good to have another Paula in the family to love.